This one's called Live Forever. 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 Maybe I don't really want to know how you got in girls. Cause I just want to fly. <laughs> All right, let's do this. All right, welcome everyone. This is another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, I'm your host, Rob Elba. This is kind of exciting. Well, this is an exciting episode for two reasons. The first reason it's exciting because I live in Los Angeles now. And this is my first official episode that I am taping in Los Angeles. If you saw my setup, it's really funny because I'm actually, I don't even have anywhere to live yet here. So I'm staying with my daughter, Samantha, in her place. So I have a little corner that she said that she let me set up my little recording thing here. So that's where I am now. But I am in Los Angeles and I have a guest that is not in Los Angeles. Uh, he is a Budapest based, I guess. Would you say you're based in that. Budapest? All right, Budapest based award-winning journalist, author, and broadcaster, but originally from Manchester, England, which is very important, as you'll soon see. Uh, his work has appeared in The Guardian, Al Jazeera, whatever, and uh, numerous other uh, outlets. I'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. Dan Nolan. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks, Rob. I mean, you've done your research. I'm impressed. I, I did some. Yeah. <laughs> I always do a, a little research. I try. Um, so Dan, yeah, Dan, just informed me. So he's uh, so he's from. Spoiler alert: He's from Manchester, based in uh, Budapest. Right now, he's in. Where are you right now? Mexico City. Mexico City. Yeah. So he's he's all over the place. And I was in LA last week, actually. Oh, you were really? Oh, okay. Well, I, I was I here. I don't even know if I was here yet. But uh, oh, that's exciting. So you're obviously a. Uh, a man about town, a <laughs> world traveler. All right, but but for the album you picked, uh, you just went, you you stayed uh, kind of close to home, and and which is good, which I tell people don't. And you said, oh, maybe it's too obvious a choice, but no, of course, this is called that record got me high for a reason. So, what is the band? What is the album we're talking about? The album is definitely maybe. And the band is what's the band again? <laughs> Oasis. The, yeah, and, oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, Oasis. And you know what? It's so funny because you know, obviously, Oasis uh, sort of uh, they're one of these bands that sort of transcends being a band and becomes almost something else. And there's people that just oh, Oasis, the brothers uh, Liam and Noel, they're such knobs, and you know, and it's like they're ridiculous. But I've always been of the opinion, yeah. It's, they're like in a way they're kind of like the last great rock and roll band and and you can't you know deny that they're that especially their first uh, few albums are just like you know off the charts great rock and roll and I, I, you know what more would you want from a rock and roll band than what uh, oasis brings exactly man. they were that you know they had a they had a few tunes they had an exceptional frontman 
and uh, they were extremely badly behaved. So yeah, yeah, right. What what more do you want? All right. So this album, uh, their debut album, definitely maybe came out in uh, August 1994. So you were in, you were living there at that time. You were living in yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I was. I was in the north of England. I was studying in uh, Holy University, which is kind of the other side of of the north of England. But then. I mean, I saw them three times, actually, that year. I saw them at Holodelphi, which is basically a terraced house with the walls knocked through, 200 venue. Oh, so I wow. saw that. That was amazing. I saw them uh, in April 94. And then I was back home kind of, you know, as a sort of student on holiday in August 94. And I went to the Hacienda, which is that kind of very, very storied nightclub in, in Manchester. And they had the definitely maybe launch party at the Hacienda and then I think in the autumn I saw them in Sheffield wow. so that's the I think that's the only time I've actually there's been one year where I've seen the same band three times but it was just very very exciting at the time and uh you know I think when we talk about this album it's like for me like we, we should talk about how it felt in 1994 because it went on a, it really really went on I think there's another 15 years of Oasis after this album but that first year was I mean it felt like Beatlemania like right, to me right right uh, uh yeah and they were sort of like if you take the time it came out they were sort of like a counter because that was at the same time grunge was getting big and there was all these you know grunge bands and and everything was kind of down and and when you listen uh to this uh, aside from just being a great uh album with great songs it's it's also very upsounding and and they're not worried about being ironic or cool or you know too cool for school it's just kind of you know they're just singing about being rock and roll stars even uh, before they actually were rock and roll stars which is kind of cool i i think very yeah i mean it's 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 really it's good fortune that they ended up being rock and roll stars because otherwise that song might be a bit embarrassing right at this point i actually did it i mean what i was kind of like in the last couple of days when i was thinking about like you know this chat that we're having now rob was was like this album really was an act of faith because they were around the corner. They were like 200 meters away rehearsing as they put this, these songs together from like the most hyped UK nightclub, probably since like the Cavern in Liverpool. But, you know, the Hacienda was literally a stone's throw away from where they were, from their rehearsal rooms. And at that time, you know, like house music was the big thing in Northern England, to be honest. Rock and roll was, it was just, it was a, a fringe, a fringe thing. Right. And had been, you know, like, obviously sort of, Manchester had had some very influential bands like the Smiths, who kind of invented indie in a way, or Joy Division, of course. But they weren't huge bands. I mean, this, this album is nearly a diamond album. It's like, you know more than 8 million sales. Exactly. Well, I was going to say, for those who don't know, yeah, yeah, the album went on to sell over eight, eight and a half million copies worldwide and was the fastest selling debut album in British history at the time. And so, all right, here, so here's the first thing I'm going to ask you, Dan. Do you remember, do you remember hearing about them at all before you actually heard their music? Like, was there any buzz that you picked up on them at all or did it all just sort of come like quickly? I think the first thing I heard was they'd been, they'd been thrown off a ferry on the way to 
Amsterdam. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you heard about like antics of this band, there's this, this rock band. Yeah. And they were the, that was the first time, like, you know, the Smiths never got thrown off a ferry. Ian Curtis never got, right, you know, right. thrown off a ferry. <laughs> so, so it was kind of like, I think it was sort of, it had a bit of a pistolsy vibe. It had a bit of a sex pistolsy vibe. So I think that was the first thing that I read about them. And this was at a stage when this sort of, you know, the New Musical Express, Melody Maker, Sounds, there were three big kind of weekly music newspapers, Inkies, they used to call them. And they were quite powerful at the time, which is kind of, that's a different, that's a different time to now, obviously. But I remember reading about them in New Musical Express. And yeah, they've been kicked off a ferry and there was something about, they got involved in some rock with West Ham United fans or Chelsea fans or something like that. So I think... The yeah, my 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 first kind of the first time Oasis hit my radar was when they were um, misbehaving really. Right. And then the second time was New Musical Express had a cassette on the cover. Once they would do that's something that they would do sort of you know once a year or something. And I remember uh, one of the songs on that cassette. It's probably on YouTube now. Was a sort of demo version of Cigarettes and Alcohol. Like I say, I was living in Hull at the time, like at Hull University, and I remember me and my mate, we just played cards and listened to that cassette and just listened to that song and rewound it for hours. And it was, you know, listening to that now, I'm not quite sure, like why? I mean, it's obviously cigarettes and alcohol, it's just a stolen riff. Right, 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 yeah. <laughs> we'll get but up to it. it. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely talk about it. We will, we will, but, but I, think, I think it was basically... Uh, Liam's amazing vocal on it and we just listened to it for hours and then uh, that was so and then the third time that I they were on my radar was because I went to see them you know for four or five quid at Holadelphi which is like an amazing venue which still exists um, yeah so that yeah. was it really so alright so I, I gotta know like what was it like the first time you saw them uh, did you kind of like know or was it because from from what I can tell from, from what I can gather people like like saw them play especially early on like uh, you know whatever labels and stuff and they just said oh my god these guys you know they have something live but they must have really believed in them because it was like it was really hard to record this album they basically did it almost three times because they kept trying and it like kept like not coming out good <laughs> yeah right i mean one one thing which is amazing to me having sort of seen them like three times in 94 is is like that there was any problem with with recording them because they didn't play bad gigs they were amazing right like, you would think just take these guys and put them in a studio throw them in a studio right and record them and yeah. that's it but yeah. yeah, so apparently uh, they they booked um, Morrow Valley Studio near Rockfield in late uh, 1993, and they worked with producer Dave Bachelor, uh, whom no knew because he worked with the Inspiral Carpets yeah. as a roadie. Husband don't know what he's done. Kids don't know what's wrong with mom. She can't say, they can't see. Putting it down to another bad day Daddy 
can. So that the first the first producer was on a promise, it seems. Oh, okay. you know. No, the, the sessions were deemed unsatisfactory and he was fired. And then, uh, and then in, uh, in January 1994, the group, uh, they set about re-recording it at Sawmill Studios in Cornwall, produced by Noel did it and alongside uh, Mark Coyle. And then still they, they were unsatisfactory because I guess what they were saying, they were recording, but they're saying, this doesn't sound like us. Like, this doesn't sound like us the way we sound live when we're playing live. So, yeah. yeah. So, and, and I guess, uh, so the, the label creation, Marcus Russell, they got, uh, Marcus Russell, uh, contacted, uh, this engineer and producer, Owen Morris, who eventually like mastered it at where, where did he master it at? Um, Johnny Morris, uh, studio in Manchester. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so so Owen Owen Morris, yeah, he was working for Johnny Marr, and I think the time was good because he was kind of getting a bit bored of that. Apparently, Johnny Marr didn't approve of this, like, up to 11. So right, I saw it, yeah, that, yeah, I read that. Full spinal, full spinal tap tactic, you know, one louder. And um, and, and, and Owen Morris says that, um, that <laughs> the Oasis were louder on every jukebox you know, because of that, because he basically he pushed he pushed up the the levels. You know, so they were well into the red. And I do remember Oasis sounding louder than any other band on any jukebox in right, England at that time. Right, which is uh, which is brilliant. But yeah, uh, purportedly, uh, um, Mar was appalled by this. Like, is there? He said it was, and and the really I read a really funny uh, quote that. Um, that the heavily compressed, like a uh, final mix, like um, Owen Morris ad- admitted that the mix it, it was more it it, it was more com- compression that would normally be considered professional. <laughs> <laughs> like right. it was, yeah but it's like uh, they didn't give a fuck because i guess they finally figured out just get them all in a room together playing and i guess noel overdubbed all these guitar parts but then eventually they you know they kept some of them but they took a lot out they kind of stripped it down but yeah this this whole record is really it's loud and it's really in your face and it's not when yeah. you break it down you think oh maybe it doesn't sound like it, it like the the drums maybe don't sound great but it sounds great for what it is because it's just got the effect, I guess, which they had live was just that it basically hitting you over the head. You could have hammer. just dangled a microphone over one of their gigs and it would be right, a classic Right, right, right. <laughs> it was just, um, they were amazing. And, um, and they were actually a Manchester band at the time, you know, when, I mean, there's nothing less cool than something that was really cool and then just stopped being cool. But they, like I say, you know, like I was saying, this this is a this album was an act of faith that they were, you know, kind of very much from the sort of Stone Roses, Happy Mondays kind of, you know, tradition. But they were like, like I say, they were like 200 meters away from the Hacienda where everybody was kind of into house and techno at that right. point, particularly. And yet, if I can sort of paint a bit of a picture. So I had, I had, I had a, Good mates who lived on the same street as the Adelphi. So basically, like 
<laughs> there's a guy, an amazing guy, still running the Adelphi, called Paul Jackson. Uh, he's no relation to Michael or Jermaine or Janet. Right. Um, but but he he basically has been running this venue for for decades. And it's it's a it's a normal sort of kind of like the stereotypical um, northern terraced house with the walls knocked through. It's like two hundred people fit into this venue. So I remember sort of rocking up at the Adelphi, and I was like very keen. I was like nineteen years old, and I'd seen a lot of bands at that place. For example, I saw Radiohead the year before there, um, Corner Shop. Other ones, Huggy Bear, you know. Oh, nice. um, yeah, so it was it was one of those where it was kind of like probably everybody's first tour of the UK. They would play the Philadelphia, and I just remember I remember turning up and seeing there was a couple of guys who arrived before me, and they were in Adidas Adidas uh, like tracksuit tops, and they had that sort of Bruce Lee haircut, which <laughs> which which. Ian, Ian Brown, the singer of the Stone Roses, had kind of he perfected that look, and I just remember thinking, "Oh right, I haven't seen, I haven't seen guys who sort of look like that for a couple of years actually." And that was so that was that was quite a good quite a good buzz. And I was sort of like, "Yeah, my, my my people are here," sort of thing. Right. And then when Liam got on stage, then if there were like I don't know half a million like Brit guys who were trying to sort of perfect that Ian Brown look, then when Liam appeared on stage, it's like, okay, it's all over. It's all over. You, yes, ladies and gentlemen, you, we have a winner. You are so <laughs> fucking cool. And, and like, and, and and there was sort of like, you know, what I mean, like we're talking about like the funny thing about Oasis. One of the one of the interesting things about Oasis is they were they sort of they came through the indie scene, but they were sort of so much bigger than that so quickly. And um, but they saw the indie scene was like if you think about like some Manchester indie scene, the Smiths or whatever, it was kind of like um, nice, maybe slightly depressed yes. people that was kind of vibe. <laughs> whereas whereas Liam was ne- you know neither of those two things. No, he was, sort of, <laughs> he was he just was like a it. working class bloke, right? He was yeah yeah, and it was it's sort of I mean they, they sort of tied into that football thing which no indie band has ever sort of really done before maybe the full kick the conspiracy <laughs> right bit. But, but basically sort of they hadn't really sort of so, so so he was like as opposed to being sort of kind of nice and a bit depressed he was absolutely loving it and he also intuited like the uh, the best front man are a little bit evil you know yeah. and i remember sort of, i remember being i was like sort of at the front, if you talk about, you know, the whole Adelphi, like even if you're at the back, you're only 10 meters away. Right. So I was at the front and I remember sort of having eye contact with him and him just kind of looking at me like I was just a, I was just nothing, man. Because he, as you know, as they say in Rock and Roll Star, you know, you're not down with who I am. Look at me. You're all in my hands tonight. It was so he definitely, he was sort of, he was walking it like he's like he he was talking it. Yeah, yeah, walking the walk. Yeah, exceptional front man. Like I think I think you really got to say like the thing about Oasis is like Noel is a top ten melody guy in in you know in the history of of rock music, and Liam is the top ten front man. So for them to come from the same, you know, there are, there are only three three kids in that family, and two of them to tick those boxes. 
it was just amazing. Right, right. But but you really need for Oasis, you need that combination. You needed both. You needed Noel and you needed Liam for uh, for sure. And all right, so let's get the first track. This is it. Uh, you know, walk, uh, walk the walk. It, it's just I, I just love think uh, imagining them playing this before they're rock and roll. You know, just in these clubs, these small clubs, to maybe like you know ten, twenty people at first, and and they're yeah. and they're believing this song. So let's say uh, open track rock and roll. Song. Dreams are real. Now you're concerned about the way I feel tonight. I'm a rock and roll star. Oh, just his, the way he uh, delivers Noel's words and his delivery is just so perfect for their music. You know, you can't imagine no one else could sing the, uh, sing these songs but him. No, not at all. And I, the, I mean, I mean, I think there's, there's one thing we can say for sure. No one, no one sang the words sunshine better than Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. He, he, he added he like a, a two a syllables, two more syllables. Deliberately including that <laughs> that word in songs because he just knows how how Liam will deliver. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> Amazing. There was a, like there's, there's quite an interesting quote from Bob Stanley. He was a musician and journalist who was in Saint Etienne. He said something like, "In the '60s, I was a child. In the '70s, I was a kung fu expert. In the '80s, I was a businessman." Now is the 90s, so I am a rock star. And there is that sort of, like, that's a similar sentiment, I think, to to what what Noel was actually putting in these lyrics here, which is like, you know, everyone can be a rock star. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just, just feel good. It's also, I mean, the shadow of the Stone Roses debut album really hangs over this album, I think. Even though, you know, it completely outstretched it, ultimately. But the Stone Roses, Stone Roses was, was a huge album in Manchester. And you know, this is this is basically Oasis version of I Wanna Be Adored. open an album too so they're kind of like they're channeling a bit of that there's no you know Noel and Liam I'm sure the rest of the band too they you know absolutely love the Roses 
And um, but the thing is, is that the roses didn't turn up. So definitely, maybe is is really kind of like um, what what you know. The UK was waiting for a Roses album, but definitely maybe just came through just, first. Just came through, right? Yeah, and they, uh, yeah, and 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 it's funny. You're right. They were uh, well, another thing I love about them is they don't give a fuck. They'll they'll live shit from anything, and they don't give a fuck, which is which is very uh, apparent in the the second song here, Shaker Maker, <laughs> which is. Yeah. Basically, they were suited. It's that song. I'd like to teach the world to sing. And they were even gonna. They uh, the original <laughs> lyrics were actually the lyrics to that song that also became a really famous <laughs> Coke commercial. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to build the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like it's to. Awesome. It's so funny that the Beatles never sued them, but the Russells did. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's listen to the second song, Shaker Make. Seekers, um, <laughs> Noel said something like, "How postmodern is that?" Right, right, right. <laughs> that's, that's the thing with Noel; he's a lot cleverer than you think. Oh yeah, 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 right. Because no, yeah, no one could write songs like this and not be, even though you know, as simplistic as they are. Yeah, there, uh, which is something else I appreciate. There's a, a cleverness throughout this record. He's clever enough not to show it. Yeah, yeah. For sure, which, which is, uh, yeah, which is uh, like a brilliant thing, which a lot of people don't get. All right, so uh, one thing I was going to ask you, when you first got this, what did you get it? Like, what did you get it on uh, a vinyl or a tape, a cassette? Mm. Do you remember? Um, I think it was one of those. I think I've owned, I've owned it like three times. Yeah. It's been stolen <laughs> from me, which says something about the, uh, you know, the, the fan, the fanhood. Um, I, yeah, I've, I've, I, the first time I owned it was a CD for sure. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, because it was uh ninety, yeah, the, the mid nineties, yeah, CDs. Those, those are the times, man. There was and, a war on. And, and CD, right, yeah, and and uh, good on them though for not like loading it up though. Just got the eleven songs, which I've always said, you know, uh, sometimes when CDs come out, bands like automatically just put more songs on it when they didn't really, you know, and they weren't as good. I songs. get that seventy-four minute. Worth, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Which is usually it's quite it's a like long album, filler. though. Actually, 
sort of like you know sort of in the last couple of days sort of digging into the album i was surprised that it was like like 51 minutes not quite long yeah you know what the same to me done because because uh, dan i didn't realize that the songs are longer than i thought uh you know a lot of the songs are, are just longer songs for some reason you think they're just these great pop in a way pop rock songs that they'd be short but no they kind of take their time right yeah and there's a lot of guitar outro this is because Noel hasn't decided that he's as good a singer as Liam at this point, which is one of the best things about this album. Yeah, Noel, right. Noel is not on the mic as much as he was later. Yeah, so he, right. So instead, he takes like two minutes at the end of the song, you know, to... Uh, right, right, you know. to get his little stamp on it. All right, but speaking of Noel, we got... I, I mean, if nothing else, you write you write a song like this next one, Live Forever, and I'm sorry, you're... And, and yeah, they all... The guys in the band said it too, when he, he wrote it and he played it for them. I mean, it, there's no way you hear this and don't know, oh my God, this this is a song. This is going to be a hit song. Bonehead was like, fuck off, you didn't write that. Right, yeah. <laughs> he didn't believe him. Uh, Which is the biggest compliment. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. All right, let's just do a little bit of Luke Rapp. It was really counter something like this was counter to like I said a lot of the grunge music that was going on because it's a positive it's like a really positive up song yeah yeah I'm, I'm really interested to ask you Rob actually um like how were how were Oasis perceived on the other side of the pond at this point was this was this the song that kind of that brought them was it more supersonic and and at the time how big did Oasis actually get with this album right well this uh, for me at least from what I think I think Live Forever uh, Live Forever might have been uh, breakout kind of a breakout song but uh, US but right. there's there's no denying they were never they're never as big in the US as they were in the UK you know they were yeah. you know and they were more it was more like underground because I remember my friend I have a good friend uh, Will uh, Will Trev that would always introduce me to stuff and he said oh my god there's this band from England uh, Oasis, you got to listen to this album, Definite Maybe. And I remember he he, play, he played it for me, and he and you know and he uh, discovered it. But yeah, so that's kind of what it was: people discovering this man from England. But yeah, I don't know that it ever you know it never ever broke out and got as big. But like I said, there's no way you hear a song like this and not just say, "Oh my God, that's such a great song." And it does something that happens a lot that Noel does. It repeats the same li lyrics for multiple uh, <laughs> verses. Yeah. And, you know, some people may say, oh, that's lazy. He's just being lazy. But I don't know. The thing is, the words 
and the melody when they're that strong and compelling it kind of just hammers it all home like like they'll do it yeah the third time around it's like okay it's the same thing but it sort of makes it easier to sing along because by then even if the first time you heard it you like know the song by you know by the end of it you know it so it just makes it all like relentlessly uh, catchy i think yeah it's almost like like a good stand-up routine or something yeah yeah right it just pulls you in maybe you know i mean who didn't feel the pain in the morning rain ever recently (laughs) i mean you live in la now so maybe not but i heard the weather was quite bad in la recently so who knows (laughs) yeah yeah every every every, so it really pulls you in this song man the beatles would have fucking been happy with this one oh yeah right even if george George came in with it in (laughs) 65 they even even then even then they probably still uh, uh, let them put it yeah begrudgingly yeah any band would have had this this is absolutely stone cold classy you just can't argue with it really you can and and it's one of these songs that i never get uh, tired of hearing you know yeah and again and again there is there's something in the there's something in the oasis sometimes when you when they have these kinds of love songs you think is it is it about is noel writing about his girlfriend is what his wife or his brother so there right. is that sort of in, in, in oasis which is like i think you know i mean there is an extra element to like a band with siblings don't you think rob Oh yeah, yeah, for uh, for sure there is, and it, um, I'm always fascinated too by the like the uh, Kinks and uh, Credence Clearwater and Oasis because uh, I don't know. Do, do you have Dan? Uh, do you have uh, brothers? I do, yeah, and I don't talk to mine either. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say there's somebody. See, I, I I never had that. I have an older sister. Um, uh, but there's something with brothers where I sometimes they do not just the fact that you know giving each other crap and and picking on each other, but they they do real damage to each other, like emotional long-standing damage that like lasts the, their lives, you know, and never goes away. Yeah. It's like it's yeah. crazy. Somehow in Oasis, yeah, the, the the stakes are a bit higher. Right. right, right. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Because I think, yeah, right from the start, no, I'm, I'm sure Noel had this jealousy that all of a sudden Liam's like the front man to his, to his band, you know, and, yeah. and, and you can't take anything away from Liam because, like I said, it's just, just the way he, he never oversings anything. And it's so, uh, you know, and just, and even, you know, you've obviously seen him, just the way he just, he'll just stand there with his hands behind his back and not, you know, and not, and like sort of everything sort of comes from within him. And it's just like, so it's like uh, too cool for school, but uh, you don't even care. He's so cool. He's <laughs> right, so cool. That's he, it. <laughs> you got to say that. And, and, and Liam is the middle kid. Liam's exactly. the kid who, yeah. who, who, he was the youngest for years actually like, the more i'm talking about this the more i'm thinking i should talk to a psychologist yeah, <laughs> maybe this. well maybe dan you know <laughs> like yeah, yeah i mean so you know I, I can i can relate yeah so my i have an older brother he was the he was the youngest in the family for five years oh okay and and yeah so so there is you know i mean we, we have a we have a i don't know if you have the same thing in the states you know there's an, there's a saying in in the UK like they sing like family, like the Everly Brothers or whatever, and there, there is that you know the Beatles also you know kind of sing like family kind of thing, and it's kind of it's, it's kind of the greatest compliment if you have a kind of sort of a, you know like a capacity to to um, you know to harmonize with each other and stuff like that. Right, and there right. is something in that, I think like I mean Oasis they sing like family right. because. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. So 
Up in the Sky, this is kind of an angry song on a record with mostly non-angry songs, but this one kind yeah. of is. And and it looking, I like, because it's very, cla- you know, you're looking sort of uh, at the a privileged class from a working man's point of view, because they that's who they were, you know, and that's how they grew up. So uh, to me, it's kind yeah. of cool. Uh, let's listen to Up in the Sky. Hey, you wearing the crown, making no sound. I've heard you feel down. Well, that's just too bad. Welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a good, good, good song. This I would say this is more like, you know, it's more the filler, really. The, the, like, like this is. I mean, for me, this album is pretty much Oasis' greatest hits. Like, nearly every song could have been a single on this. Right, right, yeah. And and I think I, I think at some point, was, they wanted to make, like, another song from it a single, and then Noel finally said, no, you can't have, like, five, one album can't have five singles, you know? Hey, right. <laughs> but, they, but they can, you're right. I, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's quite Lennon-esque, this, I think. Um, but apparently, Bonehead came up with a riff. Oh wow! Look at him. And then Noel was like, "Thanks for that." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Noel came in the following evening and was like, "This is the tune." But right. I think, like, like for me, it's it's like loads of indie bands in the nineties would have tried that riff at some point. Right, right. Got to say it again. They have like their their secret weapon, their superpower is Liam's voice. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so I like. Liam, like, like Oasis never really sound like an average indie band because they just got that guy with that swag. That is their sound, really. But I never said that, I think. That oh, yeah. The sound this is Liam's voice. So they, you know, so this, for me, this is quite a standard early 90s indie tune. Right. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but Liam's uh, usually delivery, his delivery sort of brings it over there. Got that swag, man. Got that swag. swag. Oh my God! Do you? Uh, just a side note, really. Have, have you seen the um, uh, documentary, The Oasis um, Supersonic? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love uh, just what. Yeah, they do the. Uh, what was that giant uh, show they did? Uh, a quarter of a million people. Nebworth? Uh, Nebworth. Okay. Yeah. So now, but it just <laughs> them walking on stage. I love Liam. The way he walks. <laughs> 
He just want, like he looks like he's gonna go up, like he's gonna go up and and uh, hit someone, like punch someone. Just he just it's just how he walks with the squat. It's like it's such it's so over the top, but it's but it's just him. You know what? I, I saw him once, like playing in a like celebrity football match, and he he runs that way as well. Yeah. I believe it. I believe it. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So this song, uh, Columbia, I guess it evolved from a, speaking of like that whole acid house thing from an instrumental, like sort of jam they were the, that they played. Um, and I guess yeah. the name, yeah, I, I had no idea the name. I guess it's in honor of a hotel in London of the same name. It's not Columbia in the way that you might initially think. Exactly. Like exactly. Um, yeah. They're not huge fans of coffee or other products from Columbia. No, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Columbia Hotel is, is a bit of kind of like rock and roll icon, isn't it? And Oasis is a band from it now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, of course. That makes perfect sense. The first song they ever played together when Noel kind of... Really? Liam invited Noel. As far as I understand, yeah. The when Liam involved, he said, "Come along and jam a bit." Because oh, the previous okay, one, okay. asked him to be managed to manage them. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, this is the first song they ever played together. Oh, nice! All right, Columbia. is almost kind of like an outlier a little bit from the rest of the album i think yeah yeah why, why'd you say that Rob? In, in what way i just just because of the whole uh sound of it it's more you know it's got that sort of jammy and the way they produced it too is really like you know the the drums and everything have a lot of reverb on it and it just doesn't sound uh-huh. you know it, it's still cool but it doesn't it, it's not that in your face rocker type thing it's more of like a sort of a acid house jammy type thing yeah, it's, it's, it's a Manchester, it's a Manchester right, track. Right, 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 right. So, so like, that's what, like, there was a lot of music coming out of Manchester like five years earlier that sounded like this. Noel's on bass on this one, apparently. Oh, okay. And it's, yeah, it's three chords, there's no middle eight, there's no bridge, just right. a groove. Man. Right, right, just a, just a groove three, song. Three chords and the truth. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, we should mention, uh, I know you, you did mention a couple of the other guys in the band. You got Paul Bonehead uh, Arthur's on rhythm guitar, Paul Giggsy McGiggin yeah. uh, on bass, and uh, Tony McCarroll on drums. But we should mention this is the only album with that original lineup, right? Yeah. 
It's the only album with only Mancunians on it. Ah, okay, okay. There were Irish Mancunians as well, which is a particular variety. Oh, I'm sure. Manchester is like a, you know, a city of two million people, but if you're Irish Mancunian, then it, it's a village, man. Right. Everybody, everyone. Uh, everybody, you know, have schools and churches and bands in yep. common, you know. So, like, so it was a, it, the kind of, you know, I'm sure that, like, the drumming wouldn't have been quite as nice with the brushes on Wonderwall, you know, in the second, right, you know, right, right. album. But something was gained and something was lost. Oh, yeah. But mo- most, most, most of the best British bands are actually Irish. Oh, really? Okay. Wow. The bold statement. <laughs> we just, I mean, if you think, you know, I don't know if you heard about the Beatles. Or yeah, right, right. Or Oasis. Uh, I mean, okay. we basically you look, you know, we kind of it's like Canadians, you know, how Canadians took over the the comedy world, right? Like, you know, we're, we're the same. We're just kind of like Battle King and a bit funnier, you know. Okay, yeah, <laughs> you got it. I'm I'm, I'm going to take your word for it. Um, all right, so <laughs> purportedly, uh, Bring It On Down was going to be the first single until. Noel wrote this one, Supersonic, at kind of like the last minute, and they recorded it in one day, I guess. And basically, it's got like the lyrics are kind of like nonsensy lyrics, but it just sound. This is a perfect example. It's just Liam singing. It just sounds so good. You don't care what he's singing about. Um, yeah, it's so great. Let's listen to a little <laughs> bit of Supersonic. time like i said these songs are longer than i thought and uh the way you know they sort of move and and the verses are, are so cool sounding and then they, they just hit you with this chorus. yeah man and there is that thing about like that loud and slow like thing that the, the sex pistols did as well and right like, it, the yep exactly
really, there was a lot of you know people talked about that how how Oasis were the first band with sort of had a 50% Beatles, 50% Pistols, you know, the sex Beatles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Stuff like that. And, and um, yeah, there is something there. Like, there is something in that. And I think this song was a lot of people used to watch this TV show, The Word. It was like post-pub TV. Everybody watched it. Right. And their performance of, of Supersonic, like, basically, I think that was a moment for, you know, for Oasis in the UK. It was and and it was their debut single. I mean, this is the first. Like, I keep thinking, like, as as we're talking about this, I keep there's this sort of recurring thought. Oh, this is the best song on the album. Oh, right, right. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking that three times already. Yep, of For course. Me, maybe this really is the best one on the album. It was it came came out a week after Kurt Cobain died. Oh, wow. And I, I remember sort of growing up in Manchester, like basically supersonic is for me is like synonymous with Concord, you know, this plane, this supersonic plane. Right. And I once a week that would fly over our our, uh, our our school. And like, it was just amazing. It was like, it was like a UFO was flying over your school every week. And um, probably Noel had the same experience. I don't know. I, I think that Noel in this album, like a lot of creative people sort of drawing on his childhood, uh, you know, like oh, yeah. Shaker Mate was a toy from his childhood, supersonic. You know, I'm sure he's kind of he will have seen like Concord flying over, flying over Manchester and just being wowed as a kid, sort of thing. So I think like not not Noel is like you know a very very sort of like you know you would never he would never admit to it, but he's like a very sensitive kind of like someone who draws on his childhood. Oh right. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I think so for sure. And this all right. So this next one, uh, bring it on down. Yeah, he uh, he sort of he mentions about uh, you're the outcast, you're the underclass, and yeah, there's uh, you know, like I said, uh, as, as simple as the lyrics are, there uh, there's there's more to them than just uh, surface, you know, nothing nonsense, uh, nonsensical. Yeah, lyrics. it's quite. I mean, I mean, it's it's quite interesting that. Alan McGee, you know, wanted this to be the debut single. Yep, yep, that's right. He did. It's kind of that's a bit of a sliding doors moment for Oasis, I think, because I mean, nobody thinks of Oasis as a sort of political band. No, right. It, this this has been this has been the first single. Then maybe we would have gone more in that direction. I don't know. Yeah, because really. yeah, I think that was his idea. That's what he was thinking when he said, uh, "Yeah, what about he was thinking of the pistols exactly. because exactly. because Alan McGee." Just wants to be Malcolm McLaren. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's funny. This album, like, I wouldn't say it's a political album at all, but there's sort of like there's little aspects of it. Yeah, yeah. In the way that with Nevermind the Bollocks, I think. Right, right. Well, at the end of the day, they can't help uh, where they're from and where they came up from, and yeah, and that, that, that's all in there. Like his childhood come growing out. up. Yep. All right, let's just do a little uh, bring it on down.
again, I listen when I'm doing this now. I'm listening in headphones, and I usually, I, you know, I, I like to listen to music loud. But this is, it's like I, I haven't. I think I have it turned down lower than I usually listen, but it's still so loud in my <laughs> headphones. I mean, it's awesome, but it's so this whole album is so loud. Has your iPhone told you off yet? My iPhone keeps telling me off. Oh, it tells you, you know, listening to loud music for. <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah yeah um brilliant song that's the thing isn't it it's like it's, it's like one louder isn't it yeah one yeah louder. right exactly one more louder <laughs> <laughs> and this is john lennon fronting the sex pistols so if yes that's them, a very good uh, description actually because i was thinking yeah i was thinking god this sounds like the sex pistols but yeah john lennon and the sex pistols right there like, I mean, if you're not, if you're not into that, you just, you're on the wrong fucking planet, mate. Just. <laughs> I think so. Never, never I mind stopping listening to this podcast. Right. Just right, like, right. <laughs> you know, just find another planet, really. Um, I, 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 can, I can, I can see, I can see why, um, you know, why the creation records boss who I think did have a bit of a kind of Marco McLaren fixation would have seen this as like, this is okay. This is like, you know, this can be sort of punk 2.0 sort of thing. Right, right. Uh, they never took, really took it in that direction very much, but it's a brilliant song. And it's the fourth time that I've thought to myself during our conversation, is this the best song? This is the best. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Number four, exactly. at least. Yeah. All right. So this next one, cigarettes and alcohol. I guess Noel said this kind of this and rock and roll star kind of like he basically feels like that's that sums up his view. And then the other songs are just sort of copies of those. But aside, all right, I got to ask you something though, Dan. Aside from the main riff being a direct copy of T Rex's uh, Bang a Gong, <laughs> which it which it is, I get. Tell me, listen to it right now, and if you get, I I get a definite cheap trick vibe on this one. Because uh, cause that slowed down, crunchy pop thing that Cheap Trick had that made them so irresistible to me. I loved Cheap Trick when I was you know younger, and I feel like no. that's also present throughout this record, and it's got kind of that vibe also. <laughs> right, cool. Yeah, listen to the cigarettes now. Dan, sunshine. He gave him sunshine to say again. 
Yeah, he, he nailed it again, didn't he? Again, but yes, I'm, he did. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, what what a kind of weapon to have as a songwriter. Like, this is my little brother. He'll do everything that I tell him. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, and, and he, he happens to be one of the top 10 frontmen of all time, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, even with that, I mean, I, I do think, like, so Liam sort of kind of, raises the bar where it could be a little bit it could be a little bit embarrassing that they've stolen this t-rex riff right right somehow he just finesses it yeah right exactly he's got the swag and he's gonna sing it better than you know than mark boland did or chuck berry did or eddie cochran did because that riff has been bouncing around right for for a few decades at that point but he you know, I mean, he can he can go up against Chuck Berry and say, "Okay, I'm singing this better than you, right. Chuck." No, amazing, <laughs> amazing, and it's not fair. No, <laughs> it's not. Term. That's true. Yeah, you're the right. Technical term is interpolation, <laughs> as I understand it. Right. Or you could even you could even let's let's be postmodern and say like the the Noel having spent some evenings in the Hacienda nightclub, you know, sort of is sampling. Uh, rock and roll music from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s right i mean it's kind of, it's kind of sampling in yeah a way. That's, yeah 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 uh, yeah that's, a, that's good that's a great point and actually uh, that brings me to something this i will listen to dixie's uh, dinner which is kind of a kind of a strange song almost maybe like a filler song but it's still cool but also there's a piano i guess um one one of them is playing piano. I, I forget. Uh, maybe. Yeah, Bonehead's playing piano. Bonehead. All right. So that's uh, let's listen to a little, and then I got something to say about that. That that just made me think uh, think of something. But let's listen to a little bit of Digsy's dinner. <laughs> that piano all right so so dan this is something i was thinking when i heard this i and i don't mean this as a dig at all but it's that (laughs) that piano part is a perfect example of the lack of virtuosity throughout this record i mean it's just be you know what i'm saying because when you break it down there's no like amazing guitar playing on it amazing drumming or any of that it's just this simple catchy 
effective parts that and that pile drive these songs. What would you say? Maybe maybe the solo in Live Forever is the is the most virtuosic. It, it probably is, and it's funny. I think I read something about the producers saying almost thinking that it was too much, like too over the top. He was picturing like Slash playing it or something. Yeah, it took Noel twenty five years to work out that. Solo. I think yeah, I think that's that was at the peak of what he could do at that time. That was the peak of his ability. But yeah, yeah. like I said, I don't mean. I don't mean this as a dig at all because it's that's part of what makes this such a great, fantastic album. It sort of has that feeling that it could fall apart. It could fall apart at any minute, yes. And yeah, and yeah, if you saw them live, and and I don't like to go on about it, but I saw them three times. Go on, I would go on if I got to see them three times. Like I would go on about it too. I used to think it made me sound cool, but now I think it makes me sound old. Well, (laughs) cool and old, old and cool. You could be both (laughs) old and cool. Okay, let's go with that. Let's go with that. And then yeah, so like yeah, there was a six month period they didn't play bad gigs right. so i so th- th- this 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 album like yeah it has this feeling of like you know it could sort of fall apart at any time but like seeing them live wasn't like that particularly because they had a rhythm guitarist and a very basic drummer and those two sort of held the thing together and then obviously just this exceptionalist i, th- I think we, we have to say this like liam gallagher is exceptional from man really there's not many he's up there with jim morrison man he's absolutely brilliant here and he even you know even so the, I mean, he's a great dancer as well now many times but, but like, really he, he has that you know he puts his hands behind his back he's like i'm not fucking messing around here. exactly yeah 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 but it's all yeah it's it's it, up time of all time man i i really i can't argue with you i agree because it's all there the thing is it, it's just all there in in that you know in in everything in, in his swagger and the way he uh, delivers and his delivery and it's so y- unique and like <laughs> yeah the uh the uh, rasp in his voice is just like perfect dead on effortless not something you could teach someone to do you know it's just like it's either there yeah or it's man not. and, he, he, and he, he could even finesse like a Dixie's dinner kind of like basically let's be honest this is the this is the song that Ringo would have sung yeah yeah exactly <laughs> very good point yeah it's bringing the he Beatles still, the he still seems there. cool yeah and this exactly. was a kind of like around that around that era sort of kind of I think Dixie's dinner was maybe the last of them fortunately but there were like those sort of rinky dink indie songs which like maybe like bands like the wonder stuff or dodgy who i think oh it's actually uh, supported at some point so there was sort of like with from the sort of uk indie community there was that kind of like yeah let's do the rinky dink funny song uh, and uh it was like maybe it was gonna be the the hit for the summer or right something like that. right 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 <laughs> not a hit like oasis had a hit no no right right yeah exactly <laughs> just hits. like a little uh, so it was like uh, maybe it was gonna be number four in the indie chart yeah not throwaway like, hit. Oh, just like a little throwaway hit novelty yeah yeah so yeah, the, yeah let's yeah the throwaway track the ringo track basically that's what it is but i haven't i haven't yet asked like is this the best song on the album no no, no 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 not with that one no not but it's still great I, I i forget like i listen to it and i go oh wow that's still fun it's like well, really fun it's a fun yeah song. it's great and, and speaking of speaking of the best song on the album slide away
Uh, I just, I, you know, you can't, I, I keep going back to Liam, his uh, voice and his delivery and, and the rasp in his voice in this. And uh, it's just like, you know, it's, I'm sorry. You can hate him all you want. <laughs> you got to give him <laughs> the, the props, right? I would never hate Liam. I no. have seen him. <laughs> no. I haven't seen Liam, man. I haven't seen Liam, sure. But but yeah, it's absolutely brilliant song. I think it's maybe overshadowed a bit by um, Champagne Super, Supernova, which is a kind of a similar song. Right. But I don't like it as much, actually. This is probably a bad tune. I think it's an underrated track, Slide Away. And uh, it's amazing, like... You know, if you think about it, you know, this wasn't a single. Yeah, well, this might have been one where they said, where finally Noel said, enough's enough. You know, we can't do it, put another single out. But yeah, you listen to it now, you think this could for sure have been another hit single. You mentioned that, but you know, I mean, Thriller had like 27 singles, didn't it? So why not? (laughs) But but like, this is an absolutely, absolutely fantastic, you know, is this the best song on the album? No, this is what you're right. All right. So now you're up to five. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I think like my my personal list is like eight at this point. I, I just think you know this is this is this is the greatest hits album, man. A couple of couple of tracks missed out there. Absolutely brilliant song, and um, you know just yeah, beautiful song. Yep, it is. And then uh and then I really like they closed the album with this fun little song, which I guess supposedly was inspired by Noel's then girlfriend, Louise Jones, who was uh being kept awake by him while he was practicing his g- guitar and she was getting fed up and told Noel your music's shite. <laughs> which I love I love that. I yeah, love well, your little British term shite. <laughs> <laughs> shite is like like the literary translation of that would be shit, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I bet I bet you regret saying that now. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. But um, I I like this song because I like even though it feels like almost it could be like a throwaway type song, it really captures the uh, a pettiness that can come in a relationship when your relationship's kind of sour and you're getting real petty about things. I also think I also think it's probably the most revealing about how Noel is. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I think. No, 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 it's that kind of guy. It's, it's, it's interesting that he, even with this, like he's put this classic album together, there's something, there's a little bit of snidey, like, yep. you know, there's a sting, <laughs> sting of the tail kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like the reverse McCartney and Abbey Road. Right, right. Where, 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 he, where, where McCartney, who's a very upbeat kind of guy, just drops in Her Majesty at the end of Abbey Road, which, you know, after after that kind of like, you know, the way Abbey Road ends is just, you know, it's so epic. It's the end of the Beatles, the end of the sticks and all that kind of thing. Whereas, like, with this one, like, like um, Noel's doing something similar, but it's just, it's just got a bit more of an edge to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, for sure. Let's, let's do a little Married with Children. No more. 
so don't you worry. Goodbye, I'm going home. I hate the way that even though you know you're wrong, you say you're right. I hate the books you read and all your friends. Your music's shine, it keeps me up all night, up all There's no need for you to say you're sorry. Goodbye, I'm going home. I don't care no more, so don't you. <laughs> I just worry. love that. I hate the books you read and all your friends. Your music's shite. It keeps me up all night. <laughs> well, we've all, we've all been there, haven't we? Yeah, right. That's what I was thinking in this song. I was wondering, did you ever see the, Did you ever see them play uh, this song live? Uh, I don't know. You know, I was. I can't picture them because I, I just can't. You know, imagining the shows and others. So like they hammer you over the head, and they're probably so. You know, they come out so strong, so relentless. I don't know. I, I just I would think it'd be cool to see them do this. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, the the thing is, I saw them three times within the space of like a six month period in 1994 and i like a roof on my gig no oh, right so, so I, i never even saw them at, like i'm a you know a manchester city supporter so the other time that i would have seen them would have been like main road which is a now demolished football stadium i would have seen but I, i i just saw them three times and an interesting thing is like when, when i look back when i think back to that is that like I didn't really follow bands in that way, but I probably would have seen them in Manchester, the Hacienda, probably, because that, you know, I was I was at home and whatever, you know, it was summer holiday and stuff. But I probably I wouldn't have seen them in Sheffield in the autumn. But there was a friend of mine who was not into music and he just he saw them. I, I sort of dragged him along to the whole uh, Adelphi um concert and he just became obsessed that's the thing with oasis that the, the, they like you know the people who weren't massively into music became became massively into music yeah became obsessed i could see it from this one album i could see that and obviously it did i mean like we said they sold over eight million of them and uh yeah, yeah. like but my my friend danny i'm just thinking about him now i remember like Oasis played, they didn't do encores, and <laughs> and the last song was always a cover of I Am the Walrus. Oh right. I remember after we'd seen that after after we'd seen them at Holodelphi, I remember playing to him four in the morning, like this is I Am the Walrus by the Beatles. And his mind was sort of kind of blown by it. And you know, so so that's the thing about 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 oasis they got people who weren't the sort of typical kind of like new musical express or melody maker readers which were like there was they were they were quite big those like kind of like weekly in the newspapers then they pulled in other people and like british indie was never the same again man right because there were, because there were years where like like the top 10 of the indie indie chart was oasis for years it was crazy man right It oh yeah crazy. so they they kind of they took indie into the mainstream and for better or worse <laughs> it yeah. never went back and because like i mean so growing up in manchester is sort of you know, 80s and 90s. I remember, for example, 
I bought at Affleck's Palace in Manchester. I bought a I bought a, um, a VHS tape, which was basically it purported to be every every TV uh, appearance by the Smiths. And it was one tape. Oh, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, we, we look back now and think, yeah, unknown pleasures, you know, five million T-shirts around the world. Right, right. But at the time, actually, it was a very fringe thing. It was small. Yeah, it was fringe and it was small. Right. It wasn't. Yeah. This, yeah. Right. Oasis, Oasis blew that up. Oasis like kind of made a mockery of all that. <laughs> <laughs> we an indie band? Well, we just fucking sold like eight point. Did he say eight point five million? Eight point five. Yes, <laughs> right. <A> debut <laughs> album. Yeah, that's, uh, so, so you can imagine how the UK indie chart looked for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. It was, right. It was he was selling eight point five million copies of one album, and those album. Uh, I'm sorry, and those singles worth buying as well they're more like eps because one thing we haven't really touched on rob is 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 the sort of abundance of melody which which was kind of surrounded around oasis in this era definitely like on the second album but also partly and definitely may maybe album as well there were like you wanted to buy their singles because they had great b-sides as well oh right 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 yeah, for a while they were like yeah, like you said, they were untouchable. They were the biggest band in the world. Yeah, they played like I said two two days in Nebworth uh, to a quarter of a million people. All right, so Dan, in uh, in wrapping things up, here's my big question to you because I'm sure you know by now there are rumors going around of a reunion uh and and it's funny because i said just recently we did a, i did an episode on the band ivy and i was talking about and i said eventually there, there's so much money involved that they'll have to as much as noel and liam hate each other they'll have to do it just because they won't be able to turn down the money but i don't know what do you think a million has been discussed right multiples i'm sure at this point it probably doesn't come down to that but uh, what do you think like wh what's your opinion is that something you'd, you'd want to see and would you would you go see it i mean it would probably be a place with with no roof <laughs> no <laughs> but i saw bowie and i saw nirvana with no roof so right. I'm okay. like, you know i mean like i'm nice like that i would i would i would say like that if you know not everybody can be so cool that they saw oasis three times with the roof in 1994 right so let you know let the let the squares have their fun. <laughs> right you were there yeah, so, you were there at the start I'm, I'm, Probably wouldn't go, man. To be yeah, honest, right? Well, that's Probably good. That's go. that's good. That's an honest. That's a good honest answer. And yeah, it makes sense. It was. A, it was part of. I mean, even the last couple of days, kind of like digging into this and just kind of reading around the subject and stuff. It was just a beautiful thing to kind of talk me, talk me back to my. I mean, I was. I think I turned. I turned twenty two days before the Hacienda gig. So I was. I was really sort of. In my in my prime in that time, and it was just a beautiful time to be alive. And um, yeah, but I, I don't necessarily need to uh, need to see Oasis again. But, okay. Yeah, there are less cool people than me who do. So right. Let's, let's... All right. So you're not going to be. We've heard it here. Dan Nolan is not going to get that haircut again, and go see them. <laughs> it's not one thing I would say, man, is that no, it's time for someone to ghostwrite your autobiography and you know right. I'm not very good 
but at least I'm expensive, so just get in touch, man. Oh, okay. All right. I, I like that. I like that. I like the sound of it. Dan Nolan, where's the best place? If we wanted to get in touch with you, where's the best place to get in touch with you, Dan? I don't know. I'm available. Uh, well, no, but seriously, there is a website. Isn't there a website where people could find writing stuff you've written and stuff? Or Probably, yeah. Probably. Probably. Oh, God. I guess. All right. Google Dan Nolan. DanielFrancisNolan.com. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Rob. You should yeah. be my money. <laughs> well, uh, maybe I will. We'll see. Um, all right. Yeah, no, this was great uh, having you on. I'm really glad uh, someone finally picked this album. I guess people were afraid. I don't know, but it's a, it's a Stone Cold classic. And, uh, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. One of the best frontmen ever. Like, you know, one of the best songwriters ever. Just so happens that that brother is, is a brother. That 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 also hates beautiful thing. And, and I would like I'd like to say that the kind of the, and the, and they this was post Manchester. So the the you know they were doing it in a situation which was not promising at all. Right, really. right, right, right. Written off like Tony Wilson, Anthony H. Wilson, who you know the Factory Records boss was always very kind of condescending about Oasis. They did it. They right. did it in a way that the Smiths and the and, and Joy Division never did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and they're sort of an equally interesting band, I think. I, so, I, agree. I agree. I agree. All right. That was it. That was Oasis. Definitely. Maybe. Don't forget, everyone, uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high. Also, that Facebook group got me high. At Twitter, it's at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at trgmh33 at gmail.com. Most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, I, I live in Los I moved to Los Angeles, one of the most expensive cities in the country. If you want to help support <laughs> me, go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh. Consider becoming a patron. Rob, you know, Rob could use a little help. So, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I really appreciate all the listeners, but if you want to help out, you can do that. Uh, once again, thanks everyone for listening. Dan, you were a great guest. Thanks for coming on. I hope you come on again someday. Yeah, let's 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 pick a less obvious record. Okay, sometime. all right, for next time. Yeah, God knows, who knows what it is, but it'll be fun. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, and I I love your show. It's the best fucking music podcast. Oh, um, that's so. I appreciate that. Coming. All right, we'll see you all next week. All right. I'm Rob Elba. I'm out of here. Experts, experts, choking, smokies, don't you think it's your perhaps a new See how the spotlight picture the stars and how